As we record this, times in the world are, well, for lack of a better word, rough. We are stuck inside, many of us are facing financial hardships outside of the other potential for something bad to happen. And ultimately, we decided to take the next few weeks to just talk about some comfort food, some things to take our minds off what's going on. So we introduce this theme of comfort food with our first entry, Paddington 2. Welcome, everybody, to the More You Nerds Comfort Food. We thought, instead of going into... Well, we initially had planned to do a lot of uh, indie games this month uh, from people that I had met at PAX East. Uh, But things have been a little dicey for everybody, and some schedules got mixed around. So we thought it best to postpone that for a special series on things that brought some relaxation, some ease, and just down-home goodness when we experienced them. And knowing and, and knowing how people go back to our episodes years later, I do want to say we are recording this in the middle of the 2020 pandemic lockdown. Uh, yes. That, that will hopefully be over soon. Uh, <laughs> right. And this isn't some sort of weird foreshadowing of something much worse to come. But just want to so, say that first, just because yes. that might color some of the rest of these shows. So when we um, when I brought this to Drew as a, a potential replacement for our Indie Game Month, uh, you had never seen Paddington 2. And I, I am curious, before we get into the history of Paddington, your preconceived notions, because, I mean, you definitely were a little confused when I first brought it to your attention. Yeah, so uh, I have not seen either Paddington movie, Paddington 1 or Paddington 2. I was surprised that you wanted to to see 2, uh, a movie that at the time you also hadn't seen. And I just, yes. it seemed something very out of character. So I said, well, you know, I'll give it the... I'll, I'll give it a chance because I've got kids. Maybe this will be something that my kids will really get into too. And we can watch it all together because we're stuck in the house together. We may as well try to do something that it takes our attention off what's going on as, as a whole family. And I, I, I know of Paddington. I know that there were two movies, but I, I I'm sure I read one of the books when I was a kid, but I don't really remember anything about the character or anything like that. So that's where I was initially. I had seen the first one a little bit after it came out and 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 really loved it. I thought it was very good, but it, I kind of just had the same. I kind of forgot about it. It, it was it was good, but I, I had a Paddington Bear. I know I had one when I was a kid and I must have had one of the books. But by, by and large, the franchise has not been very involved in my life. And well, when the second one came out and we're, we're going to talk about how successful it was and not necessarily just not just monetarily but it was a critical success and it's one of these movies that all of my film friends have floated around if um, i guessed a lot on another podcast called the psychotronic film society it's mostly about cult 
horror and science fiction films. And every and, single and Paddington these, too, apparently. And every single one of these dudes, big burly, bushy beard, you know, dudes will go to war for this movie. <laughs> ironically, <laughs> like Paddington two is, is like this universal like connector. And I just, I just hadn't got around to it, but I mean, every one of these guys in my film groups have been, you know, propping this movie up and say it was better than the first one. And so I thought this would be a good opportunity to one, actually get to see the movie for myself. So keeping a little bit of that old more nerd spirit of getting a challenge in, but also, yeah, I wanted to, to do a month to kind of promote things that make us feel good. Things that when you watch it, you feel refreshed, you feel good, you feel warm and fuzzy. And I know that sounds cliche, but in a, in a, in a hectic time right now, these mental moments of reprieve, to me, are priceless. Yeah, that, that Band-Aid when you're a kid and you don't really actually need a Band-Aid, but just having it on makes you feel better. Exactly. Um, so let's let's get right into a little bit of the background for, for Paddington Bear. Let's, get, let's do it, Miles. Uh, so Paddington is a polite bear who has a trademark look of wearing an old hat or duffel coat. If you've never heard of him you can probably picture the stuffed bear with a uh the most popular look is a blue kind of raincoat and a big fluffy red hat his backstory states that he comes from peru but upon arriving in london at paddington station after his aunt lucy sends him there when she goes to live in the home for retired bears as one does uh, the young bear is found and adopted by the brown family with whom he has many amusing adventures with uh kind of getting acclimated to the human world I didn't look up. Are there bears in Peru? Uh, apparently there are. Uh, from what I have read, the author was originally going to have him in Africa, but apparently the area that he wanted to have Paddington from did not have bears. So there's like apparently a, a spotted bear of some sort that lives in Peru. Hmm. Interesting. Well, speaking of the creator, uh, Paddington was created by Michael Bond on Christmas Eve 1956 when he was walking home and saw a lone teddy bear at a store near Paddington Station in London. He bought the bear for his wife as a present and was inspired to write the first book, A Bear Named Paddington, that was released in 1958. And this, uh, this just kind of gives you a clue. Like, this character's history is as wholesome as his stories. <laughs> It's, like, it, it sounds very, very familiar to the way that a lot of this stuff is. I mean, it's Paddington Station. It's a it's a bear. Like it's it's right. And and these books were were really, really popular. And uh, he continued to write them, I think, until his death in 2017, before he passed, I believe it was the 29th book that he had finished. And that that is, has become the, the finale for the Paddington series, which is uh, called uh, Paddington Turns Detective and Other Funny Stories. But Paddington had a huge surge of popularity in 1972 when Gabrielle Designs basically made a stuffed version of Paddington to, to sell in their stores. And these toys were the work of a woman named Shirley Clarkson who operated Gabrielle Designs. But unfortunately... These toys weren't licensed, so unfortunately, B Michael Bond had to take legal action. But as it happens, and as it happens in the fashion of the Paddington stories, Bond ended up meeting the Clarksons in person, and upon striking up an immediate rapport, awarded them the license for Paddington Bear. And if the name Shirley Clarkson sounds a little familiar, 
it's because she's the mother of future television personality, Jeremy Clarkson. So if you're a Top Gear fan, you are probably very, very familiar with uh, her son. Uh, In conjunction with with the toys, a BBC series was made in 1975, uh, showcasing the animated adventures of Paddington, which proved to be a big success on screen, on the shelves, and in bookshops, uh, prompting an American company, Eden Toys, to pick up the license. I cannot believe that that is such a Paddington. Right! <laughs> that's such a Paddington story based on, on what we saw in the movie. You see the good in people, and <laughs> that is quite frankly amazing. Uh, it, it also is, it, of course, toys being what they are. The Eden Toys designs were mass produced, but all the Gabrielle designs were handmade. So if you find a Gabrielle designs uh, toy, it's going to be worth a lot more than an Eden Toys design toy. But yeah, and I, I've looked at them both. They're both very good for, for different reasons. I would probably want to get a Gabrielle design because they are handmade and they don't tend to t- run like exceptionally expensive. I know some can get a little bit up there, but they're not, they're not as expensive as some American memorabilia collectibles can be, which I was very, very surprised by. Hmm. But we did see another surge of popularity for Paddington in 2014 when Paul King, the director of The Mighty Boosh. Which, go back and listen to our episode on The Mighty Boosh from a few years ago. That <laughs> That's early in More Nerd, right? Uh, yeah, I feel like I think that's is. before I came along. Uh, I know Patrick was on it, so it had to. It was probably around the time that you and uh, he maybe were Maybe I was sick, I don't know. Um, anyway, so Paul King, the director of that show, wrote and directed a live action adaptation with uh, Ben Wishaw voicing the title role. And if that name is not immediately recognizable to you, you might recognize his face as Q in the Daniel Craig James Bond movies. Um, and I, some people were a little concerned because most toy to film adaptations tend to be cash grabs and not really contain the spirit of, you know, the, the license. But that wasn't the problem with Paddington. And it was a box office and critical success, taking in $282 million on a gross budget of $65 million, and currently holds a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. Which is just, I don't remember it doing that well, to be quite honest. I, I was under the impression that it did okay, but I think it did very well overseas. I didn't I didn't take the time to look at the domestic gross here, but because it's a international production, I'm, I'm sure it did very, very well in Europe. And I know it did okay here. It may have even had a, a limited release. I don't the, I don't the first one like it I don't think it was a big release here. The second one, however, I think had a bigger one here. Well, well, we'll get to that, of course, as we get into the episode. But uh, much of the critical acclaim from Paddington 1 was just basically about it not feeling like a toy commercial. It yeah. had a clever script. It was super heartwarming for both kids and adults and had humor that appear appealed to, to all demographics. So with this sort of success, you know, we, we live in the, the modern age. We know a sequel's coming out. And it definitely made fans of the original film a little nervous because, you know, the first one was a little bit like lightning in the bottle. But Paul King returned to both write and uh, or co-write and direct Paddington 2, which came out in uh, November of 2017, to even more acclaim. 
it made $227 million on a budget of 40. So basically the same profit margin and holds a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. And one of the very few 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. And not just 100%. It holds 100% with over 230 reviews. Paddington 2 now holds the record with the most reviews ever to maintain a 100% score. Paddington 2. I couldn't believe this when you told me. I I could not believe it. But you even hear like some of the reviews. It's not just positive in a tepid way. Like The Guardian wrote, the film is pitched with ease and a lightness of touch at both children and adults without any self-conscious shifts in iron ear tone. It's human. It's humor with the citrus tang of top quality thick cut marmalade. And the Hollywood reporter said, Paddington won't save the world, sadly, but it's a, its existence makes everything just a tiny bit more well-bearable. And honestly, bad puns aside, that sentence right there is kind of my mission statement on doing this particular episode was I felt like if we could talk about this and get, if I got Drew to, uh, to watch this movie and he kind of got behind me on this too, I felt like, all right, let's, let's get people to watch something that's going to make them real, feel really good. <laughs> so let's get to today paddington 2 where yes. it stands i am going to be honest with you guys before we get into the plot before we get into to the story or the cast which is huge <laughs> this cast this is it's so good like the cast is excellent <laughs> and massive massive cast uh especially if you have ever seen a show like game of thrones or are uh, uh, the the or any British comedy in the last fifteen any, years? <laughs> any British comedy? Uh, the dad is from the 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 show that also just got a movie about the upstairs and downstairs. Lord, I'm gonna get destroyed for this online. Why oh, can I not remember the name of this show? I I I can't help. Downton you. Abbey. Downton Abbey. There it is. <sighs> I haven't seen Downton Abbey, so I couldn't say anything. <laughs> but you, maybe we should challenge ourselves to do that sometime. <laughs> maybe. I mean, honestly, it was a it was a hugely successful yeah, show, massive hit, and it and it went across so many decades of of content that I think it would be very interesting to go through at some point. Okay, we'll talk about that another yeah. day because right now we're talking about Paddington Two. Paddington yeah. Two. If you watch this movie, you will, and you if you just read the script to this movie, you will find. A script that very clearly goes from A to B to C to D. You know exactly what's going to happen. There are no surprises. There is nothing shocking about what's going on. And it doesn't matter. for one thing. (laughs) Shocking how much I loved it. I loved this movie. I loved it more than my kids who watched it with me. Uh, And and it it is so sweet and genuine and it takes itself just the right amount of seriously for all of that stuff to come through well and i think the seriousness it takes is its message of kindness and understanding that's what it takes seriously everything else is just this whimsical story about a very kind bear it's not it's not trying to surprise you it's trying to tell you a nice for lack of a better term bedtime story like when you listen to a bedtime story you know what's going to happen 
but you still enjoy it. It still puts you to sleep. It puts, still puts you at ease. And that is what Paddington 2 is. It's a very nice dessert, I would say. Yeah, that's a very, which is funny because it features marmalade so heavily. Yes, <laughs> marmalade is is a massive part. And and this is something I, I did have to convince uh, Drew on a little bit, but you don't have to have seen the first movie to enjoy this at all. And I still haven't seen the first movie. In fact, uh, as we write this, the first movie is on sale for $5 on iTunes, which is where I watched it, and for $7, uh, Paddington 2 is. So I, I'm going to end up owning both Paddington movies uh, by the end of this episode, which is which is nice. Uh, so let's let's get into a little bit of the plot. Yeah, there is some learning that happens, but the movie is very quick to catch you up on all of these people. Mm -hmm. So Paddington has been living with the Brown family in a neighborhood called Windsor Gardens, uh, and he has become very popular in the community. He is is you see him coming out of his house in the morning and with an extra sandwich to give to the lady who he catches a ride on her bike because Paddington is like two feet tall. Uh, <laughs> and she, she always, you know, she's like, Oh, I'm, I'm useless on my breakfast, you know? Yeah. And um, he, he always waves to like one person to tell him to remember his keys. Cause he forgets them every single day. And, and he goes and catches the door before he, before he, 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 Gets locked out, and then he gets passed off to the the garbage truck driver, who Paddington is helping him quiz for for a test that he's taking, <laughs> and 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 on and on, and you see how this bear, this little tiny friendly bear, has impacted all of these people's lives on a day to day basis, with and, the exception of the uh, neighborhood watch guy who is played by Peter Capaldi. Yes, who despises the, Paddington. Yeah, the twelfth Doctor himself. Uh, <laughs> what I do love about this opening, though, is it does feel like you are reading a book. You know, like you know, if I was reading this, it'd be like, oh, you know, Mister Curry, the Brown's neighbor, despised Paddington no matter what he tried. You know, like you get that kind of cadence to the way this movie is introducing this ensemble of the neighborhood. That's a very interesting way to say that. And, and I think you're absolutely right. I think it's, it's a good, and, and like, especially if you haven't seen the first one, it's a good way to like show, you know, who this cast of characters is, what, what the neighborhood feels about Paddington. You don't need to know his whole story. You get the point. He was rescued as a young cub by his aunt and uncle, and he's moved to London. That's it. That's all you need to know. Like what we said in the beginning of the, the episode, it's as simple as that. And this movie will tell you everything you need to know about the status of these characters in the movie, because I'm going to go ahead and spoil the ending. Every single thing they introduce in the beginning of the movie, in the middle of the movie, pays off at the end of the movie in yes. ways I was not <laughs> expecting. And it was very ex like it, it charmed me so much that like, that's such a simple thing. Like, well, if you like the, the idea of a Chekhov's gun, I mean, except there's really no guns in this movie, uh, a Chekhov's marmalade sandwich. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and there are so many Chekhov's marmalade sandwiches. And then, at the end, everything comes through, and there is a point at the end where one character dives into the water, and I was just, they're doing that too. They are paying off yep. everything. <laughs> I can't believe it. Uh, to get and back I, to the plot. Uh, sorry, yeah, I was good. And well, no, 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 you're, you're perfectly right, but 
to speak of charming, here is the, the conflict of the movie. Paddington finds a pop-up book of London that he wants to get his Aunt Lucy for her 100th birthday. But it's a one-of-a-kind item, and it costs about a 1,000 pounds. So he's trying to get a job to pay for it. That's the crux of what we're dealing with. It turns out that book is uh, even more valuable, and it sets off a chain of events that um, yeah, creates the conflict. Because the book is made by this this uh, this uh, carnival owner, this carnival yeah, this, worker. This legendary, like uh, I guess trapeze artist, but but uh, she had amassed this treasure and. This magician basically had her murdered in a very Dick Grayson's parents way. <laughs> That's all I could think about. <laughs> and when he tried to sneak into her, I guess her chest to get all of her treasure, he found only a pop-up book, which disappeared in time. And it's now it was now believed that this pop-up book held clues for her treasure to be found somewhere in London. And that is really where the conflict comes in because we find out that there is an actor that also lives on the in in the same neighborhood, <laughs> this, played by Hugh Grant. Played by Hugh Grant, uh, we are are uh, talking, of course, about the character whose name is. Sorry, going through IMDb because there are so many people in this movie. <laughs> it's Phoenix Buchanan. Phoenix Buchanan, who was a very popular, famous West End actor, which. I didn't stop pause the movie to explain to my children what the West End was, uh, which maybe explains why they didn't really get that character. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, <laughs> but who has has for the last several years been doing dog food commercials because uh, he doesn't really work well with people. And I I loved that bit because there there's a scene where he's doing this opening of this this steam carnival. And picks Paddington to come up to help him open up the show. And Paddington is just being his kind of aloof self and makes the comment about dog food commercials. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, the, the actor is slighted. Paddington makes the mistake of saying that um, when he's asked if you could have one wish, what would it be? And Paddington goes in this whole story about the book, which then inspires the the actor to steal the book, which we don't necessarily know at the time. Uh, we get the idea that he's going to steal it again because they broadcast everything uh, about the only thing that's not broadcast hugely is that the, uh, McPhoenix, McPhoenix, uh, Phoenix uh Buchanan? <laughs> yes, uh, is the grandson of the oh. magician who committed the, the deathly crime. Yeah, and man, they do a great job of making him this kind of like silver age comic book villain. Oh, the Hugh Grant because I keep wanting to call him Hugh Grant because he really steals most of the scenes that he's in. He, he does. <laughs> so he commits all these crimes. So apparently, every page of the pop up book has has a clue about you know a code to decipher. So. He goes and sneaks into all these very famous London land landmarks like the Tower of London and uh, the, uh, Big Ben and 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 a number of other places, and he does this by. 
by dressing up in costumes of presumably former characters that he has played and things that he keeps in his attic on mannequins all around. And these characters talk to him through him. Kind. It's never... We're never told whether or not he believes they're talking or if he's just pantomiming. It's a very 50s comic book thing to do. But it reminded me of like Scarface from Batman. But even the one thing that he wants is he wants the money, not for not for honestly super nefarious gains. He just he (laughs) He wants wants to to produce a one man show. He wants to put on a one man show that he can't get made otherwise. (laughs) But I love it. You're 100 percent right. He doesn't want it to like he's not trying to rule the world. He's not trying to steal it just to you know buy a mansion like he just wants to put on his own show which in and of itself is kind of charming and granted he is certainly not a bad guy because or not a good guy whoa definitely a bad guy because he is willing willing to let paddington take the fall for the crime right and i think this is where some of the most charming stuff comes in because we know Paddington will likely do well in prison. We expect that he's going to make the prison a better place, but the way they present everything and how Paddington does it, I think is like, you could see it coming. It was not necessarily a surprise, but again, it's done with so much authenticity and charm and just aw shucks goodness that you're, you're okay. You're going to buy a ticket to this ride because you're like, you know, you know what? I'm enjoying this. This is so sweet. And it it's so genuinely well-intentioned. Like it doesn't, it has, there's no pretension. There's no pomp and, circum, pomp and circumstance. It's, it's literally a genuinely good expression. <laughs> and, and that's like, even in the prison, like, okay, so you've got all the big, the big bad pris- prison dudes like T-Bone and Spoon and blah, blah, blah. And Knuckles. And Knuckles. And they're like, oh, nobody nobody criticizes Knuckles' food. Nobody criticizes Knuckles' food. <laughs> and then it's like, well, I, well Padding- I'm Paddington, and I was always told to see the good in people. And, and Paddington totally misreading the situation, talking to Knuckles, played brilliantly by Brendan Gleeson. I love Brendan Gleeson so much, uh, and this made me love him even more. Uh, Brendan Gleeson, uh, if if you don't know actor names, uh, he was uh, Mad Eye Moody in the Harry Potter movies. He is, uh, uh, um, he's in an for- excellent movie uh, called In Bruges with Colin Farrell, which if you haven't seen, it's a dark comedy, but it's excellent. He, he's, I mean, he's been in a ton of stuff. He is also the father of uh, Domhnall Gleeson, aka General Hux from the Star Wars sequel trilogy, which is. <sighs> Oh, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it, uh, that just a little tidbit there. Uh, uh, Gleason has a very, very lengthy filmography I am from from very, very good things. So like like in Bruges or even Edge of Tomorrow to, you know, not so great things like Assassin's Creed. Yeah, well, you know, the, they can't all be winners. <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't you can't win them all. But again, this is the thing. There, this if this movie didn't have the cast that it had to carry these situations, this whole scenario as the as the little tiny bear wanting just honestly wanting to help the cook named Knuckles who was gonna who everyone is afraid of and getting ketchup on his shirt and trying to clean it with mustard. And this whole just ridiculous scenario would not work with a lesser cast. 
just wouldn't work. I, I agree. And I also think it would not work. I mean, not that I couldn't work with American cast, but all of these actors are classically trained on the stage. And I think that's vitally important to how this movie is presented. That is a very, very good point. Because again, this is a British production and watching anything British, you see the same people in a lot of stuff. And a lot of British actors, especially older British actors, will do film, TV, and stage. They're not as locked into one as we have here in the States. Well, and, and Drew, you're, you're, you're a theater major. I mean, I, I, am I wrong here thinking that this is blocked in such a way and the way that every character uses their body language, it's very theatrical. It's very stage to me. I think there's something to that for sure. I mean, part of it is just the, the innocence of what they're doing. I'm sure part of it is just the, the simple, f- and, and I also want to just say the sets that they have in the prison, especially really, really work well. The the, mm-hmm. pr- the prison itself is uh, a very famous prison that I should have written down before we started doing this. Um, it's been used in a number of things. But you have basically set work, stage work that that's going on, uh, which is also funny because the villain is an actor. Uh, and one of the best lines in the movie is uh, Mrs. Bird, the the housekeeper for the the Brown family, <laughs> talking about how actors are the worst people I because love her. because they lie for a living. It was it was such a again it was such a nod a wink and nod to the camera when that happened. But I don't care because it worked. It's they so sold good. it. <laughs> it's so good because she's got that. She's got that. I think she's supposed to be from Ireland. I, I know the actress isn't, but. Um, She's got that kind of uh, Irish, maybe even vaguely Scottish accent, but the way she delivers her lines, especially to Phoenix, are divine. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, Julie Walters. And honestly, every family member is is played excellent. I, th- I think the mom, um, who's played by Sally Hawkins, steals a lot of her scenes, but you know she's in an Oscar-winning movie uh, this past year. Um, Shape of Water. Oh, that was uh, she was in that. She's the main character in Shape of Water. Oh, what? Yeah, yeah. She won an Oscar last year for her performance in that, and I mean, she's she's an incredible actress. No wonder she looks so familiar. I, I made the same thing because she's able to transform herself with her body language, with her face. She, you feel like she's a mom. She doesn't feel the same character that she played in uh, Shape of Water. And th- there are certain actors who can just really transform like that. And Sally Hawkins is, is definitely one of them. And she, she does a great job as she's the one that she's always team Paddington. She's always, always looking out for him. And uh, in the scene that drew mentioned with the, the underwater sequence, it's a very, like, you know, what's going to happen. Like if you ever watched a movie, you know, what's going to happen, but the way they shot it, it's still, it's so convincing. Did fun. did not stop my wife from crying in that moment. Oh, it's uh, my girlfriend was the same way. She was 
a ball of tears watching watching this scene. Yeah. And, and I know it sounds like we're fast forwarding through this plot because I mean, there's really not a ton of plot. It's the uh, the book gets stolen. the 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 plot happens. The family, and honestly, the the Brown father, Henry Brown, is the one that you think might be not in Paddington's corner, but no, he's totally in Paddington's corner the entire time. He just has a different plan for going about it. Right, and and you you find so the 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 crux of the last movie was that Pat, he wasn't in Paddington. In his corner and it has since come around which makes perfect sense but yeah he's still very much his character and i i like that they played that and the the kids are fun they're not a massive part uh but i do like the little subtle things like oh yes um jonathan's going by j-dog now and <laughs> it he's sounds so stupid J-Dog but it's, now. <laughs> it's something a 12 year 13 year old would do like when they're trying to like do something different with themselves for sure. And, and that's, and that's the thing where <sighs> everything just feels nice. So we've said this a thousand times in this episode. I just, I want people to just stop listening to this and go watch this movie if they haven't before, because I am shocked that it worked for me. And that's so shocked. That's the thing about this movie is it's not just that it's nice and sweet and wholesome and the whole family can watch it, which it is, but the way in which it chooses to pre- present its story and the it's a it's a factor of everything like you brought up the sets and the colors just everything it's an all-around production it isn't just a half measure to like oh we're going to make this nice thing everything is done to the best of everyone's ability from the voice acting from the props to the sets to the extras everything is done with such care and love. And that's, I think, where the thing about this movie comes in, is everyone seemed to truly love what they were doing here. And even if you were playing a bad guy like Hugh Grant or Peter Capaldi are, you can tell they're having the time of their lives. They're, yeah. they're just, they're getting to be characters. And I think a lot of actors feel that they don't get to do that anymore because everything's so realistic and gritty. No one gets to be a real character anymore. And things like this offer a true sense of imagination and whimsy that I don't think we see enough. And that this movie offers such a genuine expression of kindness and understanding. I know I said the exact same thing at the top of the show. When you, when you finish this movie, you just, you feel like you've like taken a hot bath I just, I felt so happy and to the point where I'm I'm legit at the end of the movie when they make the big reveal about what happens at the end. Oh yeah. I started crying. Of yeah. course I started crying. hundred percent. I, I knew it was going to happen from the very beginning of the movie. That is the one thing that had to happen in this movie. It had to be the one thing. Yes. And there it was. And I knew it was happening, but I couldn't help but, myself because I was just, I was all in. I was in on it. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter because you're just like, yes, this is this is everything I want in the world right now, and the movie's gonna give it to me, and it does. And I love this in a world where everyone feels like they have to be surprised all the time. This movie says, no, you don't. Have a marmalade sandwich. There is nothing surprising about this movie, like I, except, like I said at the beginning of the show, except how much I loved it. I mm-hmm. really, really loved this movie. I liked this movie more than my kids liked it. My kids, they are five and eight, 
But granted, we started watching this a little later in the day, and you know, times are getting they're getting a little tired. They're getting a little right, a little uh, a little. Things are just weird right now because they've been in the house all day, except for going outside for thirty minutes or whatever, and staying away from people and blah blah blah. But uh, every time Paddington was on screen, they were in. But if Paddington wasn't on screen, they lost the plot a little bit. And let's let's talk a little bit about Paddington because the the animation style for him is a little different. Like I remember when I first saw him, I was like, he looks a little odd. And so when I first saw the commercials, I was like, I'm not sure if I'm sold on the bear. And having seen the movie now, I'm completely sold on the bear. <laughs> See, I, and I didn't have that problem because I wasn't super familiar with Paddington, other than knowing that there was a bear with a blue coat and a red hat right. that was named Paddington. Uh, I Honestly, the bear work is really, really good. It's they, very, very they good. They do a lot of... It's one of those things where we've reached the point where a lot of CG animated stuff like that isn't going to look as dated in 10 years. Yes. And I also thought all of the actors worked very, very well with the CGI bear. Because when you have a CGI bear as your main character, you got to have people who can realistically react to that non-character. And I know people have gotten better about, you know, using mocap or something or having an actor on there as opposed to a stick with a tennis ball on it. But it's still difficult to act with. But even the even the 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 mocap actor being on set, like they did that with Guardians of the Galaxy and Rocket Raccoon. The problem was they cast a dude that's like six foot five to be Rocket Raccoon. I <laughs> Really yeah, well, but the the guy who did the actual mocap for Rocket Raccoon, I think, it was Sean Gunn. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. He, he's, yeah, he's. Uh, uh, oh, is he six five in real life? I don't. I mean, he's he's not Rocket Raccoon size. No, but he you know <laughs> gets on his hands and knees and does his little uh, Andy Circus thing. <laughs> but regardless, the, the the CGI work is is well done, and in, it's but it's also not gonna like it's not. It's not what is Lord of the Rings. It's not going to blow you away, but it's convincing enough that you're like, okay, cartoon bear in a movie. Cool. And I don't know. I, I want to find other ways just to convince other people to take some time out of their day, which you've got plenty of right now and just watch Paddington too. This is going to feel better. This movie is worth it alone for Hugh Grant. <laughs> Hugh <laughs> Grant talking to a room of mannequins in all of their individual voices. I knew that would be the thing that got you. And the mannequins talking to each other, I lost it. I had yes. to pause the movie. I was laughing so hard. At that this, scene is great. At this G-rated British is all get out movie, I... Uh, <laughs> and I think, but I think that's the wonderful thing is like if you tell some people, like I said at the top of the show, you know, I I, I guest on some friends' podcasts that's mostly about these crazy extreme horror and science fiction films, and every single one of them would, I mean, hard stare you if you said a bad word about Paddington. Like this movie, it transcends fans of any genre. I think if you have a heart that Paddington 2 is going to melt it. <laughs> Miles, I think that is as good a place to stop yeah, as I, any for this. I, yeah, we, yeah, we could get deeper into some of the inner jokes and stuff, but really the the main 
focus of this. I, I think, and I think you you have been an excellent um, experiment in, like like I said, Drew had not seen the first movie. He hadn't been totally convinced to watch Paddington 2 other than I asked him to. And now, like me, is a massive fan of Paddington Bear. <laughs> uh, so Drew... Uh, I, I pitched this week's comfort food. What have you got serving up for us next week? Well, I was just thinking about all the stuff that we are dealing with right now and just thinking back on what's my comfort food? What's something that I would be really happy to revisit and go back to and and enjoy just for the sake of reminding me of a better time? And, uh, you know, Miles, it came down to... Uh, you know how there's this this quote for anything in in the media that the Simpsons did it. Mm-hmm. Well, they did. They so did we're going to watch a few episodes of The Simpsons. The uh, Simpsons currently airing on uh, every TV channel for two hours a day in syndication, but also <laughs> that's also true. <laughs> but also on Disney Plus exclusively now, and I know Disney Plus is a new streaming service out there, but I know a ton of people that have it uh, that don't have any, even other streaming services. So we're going to watch seven episodes of uh, The Simpsons. So first All off, right. we're going to watch an episode called Homer the Great. This is season five, episode 11, Homer the Great. Uh, where Homer gets involved in a uh, a new group of people, and they decide that they want to practice some social distancing. <laughs> All right. Uh, and you know how a lot of us are just stuck in the house with our family? Well, that's why we're going to watch Treehouse of Horror 5, Season 6, Episode 6, The Shinning. Uh, one of my all-time favorite episodes. You know... A lot of us are working from home at this point, and Homer tried to work from home in Season 7, Episode 7, King Size Homer. I don't think I've seen that one. Oh, you've seen that one. I guarantee. Well, the, the, so this is the thing about The Simpsons, is nine times out of ten, I think I haven't seen an episode, especially if it comes from the first seven seasons. And then I'll watch it, and I'm like, oh yeah, I've totally seen this. It's, it's, it's the one where he gains all the weight to work from home. Uh, and he wears the moo-moo. You know that episode. Yes. Uh, next up, this is a little bit more of a stretch, but I just wanted to watch this episode. Uh, so Lisa tries to get out of the house a little more uh, because she isn't quite fitting in in her new locale. You only move twice, season eight, episode two. Uh, and as we're all thinking back on things we're right now, we're thinking, you know, man, I kind of actually want to go to work. But at least right now, I don't have to worry about that idiot coworker. That's right. Season eight, episode 23, Homer's Enemy. Again, it's not bringing any bells at the moment. It's okay. I'm sure once I watch it. And I actually, I hope I haven't seen it because this will allow me. I haven't watched The Simpsons regularly in a very long time. So oh, these episodes are 20 years old, Miles. I guarantee you've seen you've seen most of these episodes. I, <laughs> and, oh, uh, it's possible. And rounding out uh, rounding out our our uh, stuff we're dealing with on a daily basis. Uh, you know, a lot of us have been taking the time to go through our backlog or go rewatch a bunch of old stuff and and really just deep dive into content well what happens when you're a company that deep that's deep diving into content realizing that you need something new something fresh 
Season 8, Episode 14, The Itchy and Scratchy and Poochy Show. I do remember that one. (laughs) (laughs) How could you not? And lastly, just because I wanted to include it, I don't have any other reason other than I really love this episode uh, and all of these episodes. Season 7, Episode 21, 22 short films about Springfield. Also, I, I had a feeling when I asked you what you want to do for the second week of comfort food that the Simpsons would be a possibility. And honestly, I am excited to – I've been trying to watch a little bit from the beginning uh, since I've gotten Disney Plus and I've gotten behind with it. So I'm, I'm excited to get back into watching The Simpsons and thinking about these in a modern context. Uh, but that's not the only comfort food thing you're doing right now, Drew. Uh, right now on our Cosmic Crit Twitch, our other <laughs> podcast – Drew is co- basically kind of coaching slash leading our friend Tyler Pierce through his very first playthrough of Final Fantasy VII. And if you know Drew at all, which I do, Final Fantasy VII is one of his favorite games of all time. He has played it very, very many times over the course of the last 20 years. I believe our it was friend, number two on my list of 10. Uh, would I think it that. was. Our friend Tyler is endearingly innocent about all Final Fantasies, but especially Seven, he doesn't even know some of the twists in this game. He which, doesn't know that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. If you yes. catch my drift, yes, about the biggest thing that people know about Final Fantasy Seven. And <laughs> so we did our first uh, playthrough uh, last week, and it was a lot of fun because it's Tyler plays video games. He knows RPGs, but. He, when he was growing up, he just didn't have a PlayStation, so he just never went back and played it. And it's it's really fun to watch them go through it because Drew is trying to bite his tongue, keyword trying, in in some parts. He's had to kind of you know, lead 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 a horse to water a couple times. <laughs> well, a part of that is just that when you're looking at 1997 graphics, it's easy to miss some right. things. But honestly, it's. I knew that we were going to have a good time when we are walking into the first Mako reactor. And if you know Final Fantasy VII, it's the first area you're in. And he sees a ladder that he can climb that I know leads to nothing. But he hunts around that thing for a good five minutes trying to find something hidden. I knew we were going to have a good time. Yes. <laughs> I, Tyler is great. And he, I'm, I'm having such a blast doing that. Thursdays, typically around 9 Eastern is when we have been doing that. And yes, come as, out and check us out. As of this airing date, which is uh, supposed to be, I think, Wednesday uh, the... Was it the 1st? Wednesday, April 1st? Yes. Um the first episode will have already aired. Uh, the second episode will be tomorrow at around 9 Eastern. I didn't realize it was April 1st. Uh, there is no April Fool about this episode. Paddington 2 is great. Yes. Paddington 2 is amazing. April Fool's is trash. Um, I, just generally, that's what I've always felt. Yeah. Um, I, I tend to like not want to be on the on the internet or around people, so I'm probably in a good spot on April first. <laughs> yeah, I have a seeking suspicion that people aren't going to really try stuff this year, but right. Uh, so yes, next week we are doing The Simpsons. If you go to Twitch.tv/slash Cosmic Crit, you can catch Drew and our friend Tyler, who you might be catching on the Morning Nerd soon, uh, doing Tyler's first playthrough of Final Fantasy Final Fantasy Seven. 
Um, so that's all from us this week. Uh, Drew, how can people contact us? Uh, you can find us at themoreyounerd.com. You can go find us on Twitter at themoreyounerd, facebook.com slash themoreyounerd. And of course, our email inbox still has flies, not flies. Yeah, what's the, what's the, uh, the thing that... Cobwebs. Cobwebs. It's, it's lonely. It's lonely. Just call us and, or, or email us and tell us hi. Like if, you, if you're an old time listener that uh, rediscovered this podcast, started updating on your feed again, you know, just say what's up. If you, if you have a comfort food movie, TV show, game, book, comic, let us know. We'd be open to it. We're not actively taking challenges, but we're up for suggestions. Um, and, you know, last but not least, if we're all kind and polite, the world will be all right. So let's end this show, as we always do, with a, I would say, a polite and rousing nerd, nerd out. out.